Hey everybody, welcome into Show Notes and here with 99, my buddy. Hi. What's going on? Tired. She's got her Taylor Swift shirt on. I do, yes. It's adorable. Thank you. Or adorkable, either one. Gross. Hey, you have some updates on merch. I do. What's what's good? Um, I'm in the dark. Yeah, I did it. It was a secret. <laughs> what is I, it? I was waiting for you to see it yourself, but you didn't notice it. No. Well, maybe you should look at our website more. <laughs> I'm gonna. What do we have? Just so far, I've added hats, a few beanies. Um, I've literally been working on this since like after Thanksgiving, hmm. but it's surprisingly time consuming to create and update and add different, you know, variables and make gifts of shirts. And so what I've what I also did was if you go to the merch tab, there are two drop downs, one that says unfucking the Republic and one that says UNFTR. I'm going to do it while we do it. Okay. Okay. Add the typing noises in. It's a typewriter. <laughs> okay. I'm on the website. Okay. What am I doing? Go I'm to going to merch. merch. Oh, okay. Which one do you want me to go? Your, uh, your choice. One? Why'd you do them differently? Well, why don't you find out? Why okay. Don't you narrate for us. Okay. I am on the shop merch page. Okay. And I'm looking at these adorable fucking hats. Oh. <gasps> Oh my God, there's a multicolor trucker hat. Oh yeah, oh. I did add another. I forgot about that. that 99's new. bucket hat is here too. Yes. Was, that was there, right? Yeah, that's not new. Adorable. The dad hat. That's been there. I, I think the beanies it and hat. the trucker hat are new. So we got an embroidered beanie with Unfucking the Republic, a pom-pom beanie, too cute, a tie-dye beanie, and the multicolor trucker hat, is that new? Is I that what you just so. said? Yeah. If it's not new entirely, there are more colorways now. Oh, I love it. Okay, I'm on the other tab. UNFTR merch. So. And all this stuff, but with UNFTR, just in case you don't want to offend everybody when you see them. Yes, exactly. <gasps> so that's so what took me so long because I had to do double everything. And then I also had to make, I added new colors. There are new colors for the t-shirts as well. Yes. So. Uh, I had to make gifs of everything, so like you can see the back and the front. And I think you mean GIF. I don't. I absolutely <laughs> do not. And um, I had to change the quote unquote women's cut T-shirt because they're like discontinuing the other one. So it was a whole process. Man, I was my brain. I worked on it for like seven hours straight the other day, and I I got home and I was like. I'm going to die. Like, this was, it was just one of Harder those. Harder than it should have been? It wasn't hard. It was just tedious. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have, I have some sweatshirts that I think are ready to go. I just have to double check where I left off with them because I need to add them to the store. But we should have all of that. I promised it like for Christmas and Hanukkah and whatever else you, Festivus you celebrate. Um, and I did not come through, but. Okay. My new favorite one yeah. is the t-shirt. Oh God. I hope this isn't old. It probably is. It probably is. I didn't know we had this, if we had this. The UNFTR, but with meeting people where they are in the back. Yeah, that's been there. Has it? Yeah. I suck. (laughs) Yeah, it's okay. (laughs) Oh, why isn't everybody wearing that? I don't know. I think they like the Fuck Milton Friedman one. I like that one, too. The only UNFTR. Aw, cute. I do. The only, the UNFTR t-shirt still has fuck Milton Friedman on the back but it's got an asterisk and it's on the back so I'm like eh that one can stay yeah so otherwise now you can wear safe for work merch mm-hmm. um, you know not offend your co-workers I like the UNFTR branded stuff be, A for that reason but also because I, I feel like 
it too inspires a different kind of conversation, you know? What's UNFTR? At two. At two? I love it. To UNFTR. But yeah, so um, that's what I did. Yay. And uh, keep What an kind eye of sweatshirts? Um, I ha- I think I added, I think I definitely have a hoodie. Pretty sure a crew neck. I think I had a cropped one, but I'm pretty sure that one went out of stock. So I might have to replace that. I can do like a quarter zip too, if that's what you, you're asking me for. Oh, I'm not asking for anything. Okay. I'm, I'm just thrilled with everything. Oh, I might have done a zip. I can't remember. I have to double check. It's th- those I started a while ago, but then I got sidetracked by the T-shirts and everything else. <laughs> mm-hmm. but, and adding, because I had to like duplicate the store and recreate everything for the UNFTR side. It's annoying. Yeah, but I was like, if I'll do it now. You know I like to do everything first and like not have to do double work later. Wait, are you saying that you're detail-oriented, <laughs> process-oriented, and you think ahead? Sometimes. Interesting. Only sometimes. Why um, do you even like me? <laughs> do don't. you like me? <laughs> no. 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 <laughs> not sometimes. Oh, my God. Not when we do everything backwards. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, that's what took me so long. Sorry again. I know everyone's like, get an intern, and it's like, you find it for me then. You know, if... You're always moving forward, and I'm always moving backward. We will periodically meet in the same place. No. It's like that Keanu Reeves The Lake House? Lake House You're going to constantly be behind me. <laughs> if I'm always moving forward and you're moving backwards with no steps forward, oh. I will surpass you. Oh. So. And, and already have in so many ways. Um, yeah, it depends on how you look at it. If you knew your age me... You'd be like, oh, wow, I'm amazing in every way. If I knew your, okay, so if I knew you at my age, is mm-hmm. what you were saying. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, weren't you like running a company? Into the ground. You still did it. I'm sure I would run a company into the ground. Mm, I don't think so. I don't know. I don't think so. I would run myself into the ground. Are you running this company into the ground? No, but I'm not fully running it. Because if I was, I'd change some things. Would you? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah? <laughs> Big time. Couple, two, three? Mm. Mm. Only, only a handful. All I want to know. Yeah. Am I safe? Uh, you hear that on fuckers? You got to get you some. got to watch my back. You got to get some shit together. I got to watch know? my back. You're working a little bit on side projects, and I don't really see the ROI. So I'm going to need to put you on a PIP. What's a PIP? A performance improvement plan. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's what comes before getting fired. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. God, please fire me. So I'm going to pip you and then I'm going to fire you. Please. But you're please not going to get unemployment. Me. You're going to put it in my file? Why can't I get unemployment? Because you're getting fired for poor performance and I'm going to dispute it. That's really, really punitive. Well, maybe you should improve your performance. I'm giving you a plan. No, even if it was for poor performance, I, I can file for unemployment. I thought that you, I thought legally you don't I get I mean, it. you could try to hold me up. But I will win an appeal. Not if I have the... Ask me how I know that. Not if I have the the paper trail. (laughs) Ask me how I know that. How do you know that? Because you always lose an appeal as the employer. Why? Because that's the one part of the system that is actually built for the employee. And it's good. I'm not, I'm... And and anybody out there that denies somebody unemployment, no matter how much you hate them, fuck you. No, I'm, if, in real world, yeah. I am obviously on that side. I know you are. Just give them the money. In this world where I'm being a dick... Yes. I still don't understand why you deserve it if you fucked me over. Quote, unquote. Like, if I have all the receipts of you trying to... I, I did the time. But you also did the if, crime. Even, even if, in your estimation, I did that time poorly, I did the time. 
and I now, an I now state, need some time. If it's an at-will state and I fire to, you for poor employment, yep, you yep. can get it. Yeah, it's because it's federal. It's federal unemployment But I insurance. thought it was only for people who were laid off and not like full here's, here's the moral of this story because 99 really isn't a dick. And we just had the conversation the other day about how she cannot hold on to a grudge, <laughs> even though I am a professional grudge holder, but never really actually reveal that. We're very different that way. And even still, with my professional grudge holding status, I've never denied somebody unemployment. That's not true. I have attempted to deny people unemployment who have been let go for theft of services, theft within the company. Yeah, that's fine. And they qualified for unemployment. I, why did I think? I thought I thought it was only for people who got laid off. Nope, nope. Mm-hmm. All they have to do is just challenge it, and they and they will be successful because you know people need it. And no, by the I way, agree. again, if you're a dick and you're and you're just punitively denying somebody that you've let go, unemployment the right to try and go get unemployment insurance, then fuck you. Stop listening to this show. Hmm. That's how I feel about that. All right. Well, I will challenge it when we get there. That's fair. And I will make sure you get nothing. Okay. Well, listen. Speaking of my, I guess PIP pip. Yeah. Of my PIP side projects. Yeah. My side hustle over on the YouTubes, by the way, uh, we've got a couple new things up, so please check it out this week. We need everybody listening to this to go to the YouTube channel at UNFTR and subscribe. And then you don't have to watch or listen. All you have to do is play the videos. We're almost halfway there, by the way, to being in the creator circle. I think you should also watch Endless. Well, you should. I mean, it'd be fun because then you can just pick apart my editing style. But all you have to do is just put them on, watch them a couple of times, volume all the way down, whatever it is. Go to your friends' computers, your family's computers, do the same thing so we can rack up the hours. And then we'll be into the creator circle. And then we'll just go from there. And it's going to be wonderful. Is this like the Illuminati is, creator circle? No, no, no. It's not the, well, it's the YouTube. I can't wait for you to get one of those stupid buttons. Oh, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, of course. Of course. I've watched <laughs> a thousand creator button. videos. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I'll put it, I'll, I'll put it next to all of the other awards that, that our company has in the conference room that nobody goes to anymore because nobody ever comes to work. Okay, Kim Kardashian. (laughs) Nobody wants to work anymore. (laughs) You mean no one comes to to the office? Comes to the office, yes. Just to clarify. Everybody here works very, very hard, Eh. but they just, uh, they don't do it here anymore. Like I said, I'd make a few changes. (laughs) Max. Mm -hmm. Well, on the YouTubes, you'll find our second episode of Dumb Right Wing Tropes. And this time we're in dangerous territory because we're taking on Back the Blue We got a couple funny responses to that, and I appreciate that. We haven't gotten a lot of haters yet, so maybe we did it right, because I started off by taking apart defund the police as well, just to kind of put in a counter narrative. Anyway, check that one out. We've also got an update on our immigration episodes with some more recent data. There's some really interesting stuff to unpack because we have the numbers now from 2022. So please check that out and let me know what you think. If you will recall, we've done kind of one and a half immigration episodes. We did a full unfucking called Immigration Nation. Uh, Right? Immigration Nation, I think was the title of it, right? I believe so. It was part of a quickie. Three eyes. Yes. That's right. Immigration, inflation. Incest. (laughs) It was not incest. It was definitely not incest. Okay. I don't remember the third eye. There's another eye. Invasion. 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 Oh, that's right. That's right. 
So uh, it's an update on those because remember we had some prior data of crossings and we detailed the math behind Net International Migration or NIM. So we have an update to that. We do rehash what NIM is just to make sure that everybody's level set on that. And then we go through the numbers from Trump era into Biden's era and we talk about how the numbers have come back. There is a southern border crisis, so I do not want to downplay that. But at the same time, it's a really healthy rebound in all the type of visas that we're extending to people, some who have been here, some who are still newly crossing. But there's a there's a little tweak to the story about how aggressive the Biden administration has been comparative to the Trump administration. So check it out. Let me know what you think. Coming up on the pod, we have the epilogue on the Carter series. We're going to talk a lot about that today, I assume. And as usual, we'll be packaging up the entire series into a combined piece for posterity. So look out for that in a couple of weeks. We like to do those so there's a seamless audio experience that you can share if you like the series. And we have a few pieces in the works in various states of writing and editing right now as as well. So we're looking at affirmative action. We're dipping our big toe into Israel and Palestine, which is going to be dicey and interesting and fun. And uh, I had might be the end of the show. And the end of the show. Hey, thanks for joining everybody. Uh, I actually had lunch with an Israeli friend of mine the other day who basically just said, and you feel qualified to talk about this because mm, <laughs> so we had a we actually had a great discussion. I was going to ask you. I was going to be like, did you guys talk about it? <laughs> oh yeah, no, right into it. Are you Good. kidding? Yeah, I don't give a fuck. Uh, and then we're going to throw ourselves, our whole selves, not just our big toe or our little toes, but our whole selves into socialism. And I'm really looking forward to that. The I topic only potential. Have little toes. You only have little toes. Yeah, oh, they're all little. That's so cute. They're all little. Oh. I'll, I'll leave that. You, you know I like feet, so I'll leave that Ew, where it is. Don't I tell know. people that. Don't tell people that. I don't think so. I just find them beautiful. I, I mean, don't have a fetish. I just, I just, I don't mind feet. I think that's. I think there's a difference between not minding feet. I'm not buying pictures on OnlyFans. Yeah. <laughs> Wiki feet. That's yeah. a thing. Mm-hmm. Going to look it up right now. Yeah. Like Let's I'll pause. like like I would put my feet in my sister's face to gross her out, and she's like, <laughs> ew. But if she did it, I'm like, I don't care. They're right. just your feet. Just feet. But I think you have. I think you you like feet more than your. You know. Because I don't come out and go. I like feet. You did. <laughs> I do. I I find feet attractive. See, there's a difference there. There is. Mm-hmm. Okay. Not all feet, mind you. Ooh, boy. Hashtag not all feet. Hashtag not all feet. Uh, so anyway, the topic potential that we have going forward is an embarrassment of riches. So I'm looking forward to the work ahead this year, and I thank you all for coming along for the ride. Now, before we get into the balance of show notes and some of the comments, we are staying with our commitment to incorporate headlines into the show so that we can be a little bit more timely and topical. And I have two that I would like to share you feel free to browbeat 99, who has been purposely staying away from the news, and she is not bringing forward any articles this week. She's too tired. She says she's too tired. I think she's actually doing something really healthy. So, unfuckers, I want you to kind of collaborate and coordinate with me here. They don't have to be political, economic, socioeconomic, foreign policy type of headlines. Oh, I'm I know. I can really... talk about something. Okay, great. Do you want to go first? If you want me to. I would love that. Okay. There's a vegan brand. This one goes out to 101. Never mind. <laughs> There's a vegan brand called Miyoko's. You might have seen it or heard of it. They make butter, different like cheeses. Um, yeah. I have the, I, I could kind of picture the logo. On yeah, it's head. white and blue and it yeah. has like a nice font. So it's founded by a woman named Miyoko. I believe her last name is 
I thought I don't know if it's pronounced like Skinner or Shinner. I'm not sure how to say her last Defontis name. Defontis Papyrus. No, it's absolutely not Papyrus. No, thank you. Um, okay. But she founded this company, and they're probably one of I'd say like in the vegan world, one of the most quality brands, one of the most respected brands. And um, it came out two weeks ago now that she was unanimously thrown out by the board oh of her gosh. company because you know she's not capitalist enough. And they, they voted her out. It actually happened in June. And Is it a public company or it's a private co- big private with a board? I th- yeah, I think it's, I don't think it's public. I think it's, it's like a private, I don't know the size necessarily. Okay, I'm sorry, go no, on. No, no, it's okay. I'm just, I just didn't know. But yeah, so they, they voted her out with no, they didn't give her a severance. They didn't give her fucking anything. And she's now speaking out basically saying like, so many women founders are credited with taking their companies from zero to one. And- It's this, you took it from zero to one, but like you're not, you know, we need someone who's going to take it from one to a thousand or whatever. So just this trend of, you know, women founders, owners and business getting sent aside because they're not aggressive enough. They're not capitalist enough. They're not iterating enough. I mean, a lot of it's just misogyny. And she's she believes in the mission. She's a purist. She wants to make good quality products. She doesn't want to just like sell out to Nestle or whoever to like, it's, it's about making good vegan products, not about just making money for her. And that wasn't good enough. So I could amazing. Yeah. Are you familiar with the Bob's Red Mill story? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What are your impressions of, of, are there complications with, I mean, the flower based stuff? I mean, everything that he does is really, that they do is really kind of above board in your land, right? I think so. I mean, like, you know, I mean, there. Are, I think there are some processes, like, remember, I don't know if it's still true, but like, Domino sugar isn't vegan because of some some of the something in the refining process. Oh, that's fascinating. Like, I'd have to look into it. You know, some of some of their not tall tales, but some there's just like pervasive things in veganism that like I haven't fact checked in a while. I don't mm. know if they've changed their processes to keep up and to expand or be more inclusive. I don't know if that's the same with Bob's, but I think across the board like it's they're very well respected in the vegan community yeah he get, he deeded all of his shares to his employees which i thought was super cool yeah. different than what patagonia did it's like even the next level of what what uh, from what patagonia did to me there, there's so much intersectionality in what we do in that story so do you have uh, an article that um, you can link in show notes that yes, you found I don't somewhere have or like, was this like being talked about or like a Twitter thread? Um, I was reading about it on LinkedIn, but on her LinkedIn, she like posts videos and stuff on her LinkedIn and her Instagram, but I'm sure there's articles and I, I can link some stuff. Oh, I'd love to see it. Yeah. That's awesome. I mean, it's not awesome. No, it's the worst. <laughs> it's the worst, but it, I mean, it's, it really speaks to the illness of, of capitalism or of our brand of capitalism in this country. Yeah. Brilliant. It's like not enough that she has products in mainstream fucking grocery stores in Target. You know, you can buy Miyoko's wow. butter at Target. Yet, thanks for taking it to zero to one. We're going to, you know, we're going to forge ahead. And you know, it's just going to get bastardized, just like fucking everything else. So. Yeah. Shortcuts. Yep. Profit. Yeah. And she seems like, you know. I don't know her personally, but she seems really wonderful and brilliant. So it's just like people put their their whole lives to a mission and then that happens. It's it's really shitty. That is shitty. But yeah. Well, that's a great one. It's for my plant fuckers out there. Love it. Stand with Miyoko. All right. The two that I'm bringing forward, uh, one is from the New York Times, came out uh, as we're recording this. We are recording this on, what is today? Tuesday? 
recording this on Tuesday. You'll hear this when you hear this, but the, and the, there will probably be updates even by the time we drop this because the Supreme Court's right in the middle of it. But this is about the student debt relief plan that wound up in front of Biden. The title of the article is Supreme Court Skeptical of Biden's Student Loan Cancellation Plan. This was sort of like the recognition of all the greatest fears on the left when this actually got picked up to go to the Supreme Court. One of the things I want to point out, first of all, by the way, is this did not have to make it to the Supreme Court. So this was already this was already shot down and then got cleared by the appellate division by three Bush appointed judges who determined that the plaintiffs in the case actually did have standing. This is multiple states that brought this case against the government saying that uh, somehow, which I haven't figured out, they've been harmed. They've been able to show standing because they've somehow been economically, financially harmed. I don't know what kind of circuitous path they could possibly draw to get the Supreme Court to take this up. But essentially, the court is taking this up because this is an activist court. There's no other way to state this because you can tell what a court is by two things. One is obviously the decisions that they make. The other thing that really speaks to what how a court is composed is by the cases they decide to take. So there are ones that they will take for review, and then there are ones that they will take to adjudicate. And, and this is one of those ones that they selected. It didn't have to get here. That's the bottom line, that this could have been thrown out, never gotten here. And hopefully, you know, maybe the lower courts would have stood or what have you, but they've decided to take it on. And let me just read a quick section of it to kind of put into perspective what this court, starting with John Roberts, is how they're beginning to signal that maybe this isn't going to go through. So the article says, during the first two arguments in the program, Chief Justice John Roberts indicated the administration had violated separation of powers principles by acting without sufficiently explicit congressional authorization to undertake one of the most ambitious and expensive executive actions in the nation's history. The Chief Justice, joined by the other members of the court's six-member conservative majority, invoked the major questions doctrine, which requires that the government initiatives with major political and economic consequences be clearly authorized by Congress. So the way that the Biden administration went about this was, was kind of interesting because they decided to piggyback on what Trump had done in using his emergency authorization to essentially send stimulus checks to the entire country. So under that same logic, they said, cool, uh, there's people that have been harmed by the pandemic. We're going to, and certainly students would have been in that, you know, people with student debt would have been under that as well. So they did two steps. One is they offered a temporary relief on the payments, and then they had the plan forward where they were going to give, uh, where they were going to eliminate $10,000 on all student debt and up to $20,000 for anybody who qualified for a Pell Grant. Great. What's amazing here is that, again, what the court decides to take up and then how they decide on a whim what is under emergency executive power and what isn't. As a recipient, as a business owner and a recipient of the Paycheck Protection Plan program, the PPP loans, which were then forgiven with really kind of a keystroke with our banker, that was something that favored people like me, small business owners across the country. I can tell you it was vital. It was absolutely necessary for us to keep people employed. 
I have been a big fan of the program, even though there was fraud in the program, which ultimately gets rooted out, hopefully. But I was a big fan of that program. It would have been a better program to just simply send checks to everybody like many of the Scandinavian countries or European countries did or Canada. But in that absence, at least it kept a modicum of employment going during that period. And it certainly helped us as a small business because we didn't have to take a step backwards. We basically maintained an even status and it enabled us to power through and then come out you know, better on the other side, or at least even on the other side. But that's an example of executive authority that cost the government, I mean, I, I, I don't even know what the actual numbers wound up being, but it was in the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars that was executive authority. I mean, Congress did pass it. They they certainly went through that afterwards. But that was a decision that came out of the executive branch. And again, these were these were all under the cover of what the administration was able to do during the pandemic era, which had is still not declared over. Right. So we are technically within that. But the but the Supreme Court is just going to decide, I guess, the end of the pandemic and who gets to do what as president. When they're talking about separation of powers, where the fuck is their separation of powers when it comes to their judicial overreach on all of the things that they're upending for the last several you know, decades? They're just going through these things one by one and knocking them down because here's the message and the lesson that everybody needs to understand. Unfuckers know all of this, but in case you don't, Republicans do not like poor people. What? Yep. That's the revelation. That's what the, that's what this is all about. If you listen to our student debt episodes, you know that I have a problem with the way that the administration went about this. I think that there was a better play here. Having said that, relief to any degree is a huge win for for people who are overburdened. The argument on the right has been if you were able to attend college, then obviously you are among the elite and you don't need any sure. any favors. And they know that that's a, a disingenuous argument. They know it because the numbers are staggeringly opposite. If you are very financially well off, you don't have student debt. That's the whole fucking point. So by making that argument, this is the ultimate gaslighting example from Republicans. And the court is just going to find whatever convenient doctrine supports the underlying thesis that Republicans want to keep poor and working class people right where they fucking are. They want to keep them indebted. They want to keep them needing the government and they want to keep them without any of the protections that other people get. You cannot discharge your student debt in bankruptcy. That is fucking criminal. But if you are just a wild gambling business person who all of a sudden has a bunch of bad trades and you want to declare bankruptcy or I don't know, let's say you're a real estate owner and you have a, a bunch of high profile buildings and casinos in Atlantic City and in other places. Maybe you have a few hotels and you put your name on a bunch of things and project after project continues to just fail. You can just write that off and, and uh, you know, declare bankruptcy on that particular project and move on. Wow, what did Barbara Corcoran do to you? Barbara Corcoran? Barbara Corcoran. She owns properties. She owns properties. Yeah, it was a funny joke. I know. I was just r r kind of rolling through my head. Did she ever file bankruptcy in any of those properties? I because I think, it. see, my image of Barbara Corcoran is that she's super smart and capable as opposed to the former president. That's why it was a joke. Fair. Okay. So there you go. Republicans hate poor, poor people. Pork people. Pork, pork and poor people. Uh, no, Republicans love pork. 
and not the not the eating kind. That's the that's another interesting thing that we should talk about. How earmarks have come back. I need to dig into that. Like earmarks are a thing again. Pork. Mm. Anyway, now the other one that I want to bring to everybody's attention is another Substack piece. Now, let me read this comment first from Brian G, who emailed in about our commentary on Seymour Hersh's Nord Stream 2 pipeline article, his groundbreaking article. Brian G said, your recent comments and show notes episode regarding Cy Hersh's article on Nord Stream 2 pipeline deserve a response. While I'm open to the idea that the United States may have had a hand in the explosion, his reporting on the incident is far from the smoking gun you make it out to be. Your willingness to uncritically believe anything a reporter writes based solely on his past record reminds me of your previous embrace of Glenn Greenwald. Yes, they may have done great work in the past, but we should still critically examine their writings and watch out for signs of sloppy reporting. Examining the details in his article using open source intelligence reveals that he never bothered to check whether his single source was telling the truth. But it seems to me that he wanted so badly to tell a story about a grand U.S. conspiracy that he ignored the warning signs in the parts of his story that didn't make sense or match the actual facts. It should be a warning to us all not to let our personal biases blind us to the elements that make solid reporting. Among them should be to strive for the truth above all else. And if the facts don't match the story, then it isn't ready for publication. If you're interested in details debunking Hirsch's piece, Oliver Alexander's Substack article does a good job. So I'm linking the Substack article, which I'm not fully through yet. And the real painful part is going to be then going back and reading them both together. So reading Seymour's article and then reading Oliver Alexander's article seems like a very young man. I do not know what his bona fides are, except the fact that he says that he is an expert on OSINT, which is open source intelligence and also comments on natural gas and current events. So again, I do not know Oliver Alexander, but as a young reporter, I'm certainly you know willing to give him his due. Point of order, he has a substack as well. Seymour Hirsch has a substack. These are two independent voices kind of carping at one another online. I want to make a couple of quick points about this. The way that I framed Nord Stream 2 was you cannot ignore Seymour Hirsch and it needs to be evaluated and examined. And you should read that piece thoroughly. Yes, because he is one of the great legendary reporters of all time. Here's my problem with Oliver Alexander, Seymour Hirsch, and Max from UNFTR or anybody else that you want to wrap into this whole independent journalism universe. And then I'll tell you a little something extra on the side. As much as writers disdain editors, editors are absolutely necessary. And I think I made this comment to Brian G and to somebody else on YouTube. Editors are absolutely necessary because they do press you for, first of all, the rule of three. And this is in a good newsroom, by the way. This is not you know par for the course anymore in a lot of the newsrooms around the world. The rule of three is to get, you know, not just one source, but to get three. And then you'll be spot checked with periodic independent investigation by those editors who will try to corroborate your story. A lot of what we see in the mainstream news, particularly when it comes to national security and foreign affairs, is you find that the big shops are have become stenographers for the security state. And by that, they're basically just taking information given to them at, at daily press briefings. They're regurgitating them to saying, sources from the intelligence community say. 
So if Seymour Hersh has a source from the intelligence community, that's just as valid as getting something from the intelligence community. Do we need to look further than the breaking news, the so-called breaking news, that the coronavirus that, that started near a lab in Wuhan, China, may have actually come from the coronavirus lab in Wuhan, China. But we get so wrapped up in these official narratives coming from the government that sometimes we can't even see straight. So if we're relying on reporting from stenographers inside the big shops that are just taking their word from the security state, you have to question that. If you're taking everything that Seymour Hersh says at now as an independent writer without that that backstop of an edit a full editing team as gospel, then that's also troublesome. We have a very big issue in this country and certainly everywhere else in the world because of the the death of the newsroom and the death of the editing core in finding out what is real. And oftentimes it takes a long time to figure these things out, right? We're how how long past the pandemic and we're just now beginning to maybe take some signs from the intelligence community that it was a lab-borne virus. Okay. All of these things do take time to work out. The Nord Stream pipeline incident is very new. It's very fresh. My take on Seymour Hirsch is that he is opening up a lot of questions. In fact, when I saw him interviewed, one of the things that he said really struck a chord with me because it's one of the things that when my first editor told me when we were in independent alternative journalism. And that is, sometimes you get a story to a point where you're, you're pretty solid on it, but there are still some holes and you have to run with it. Because until you run with it, you are not going to tease out other sources who were previously not yet willing to share their stories. Every single time that we did an investigative report, we would get just enough to hit the street with it so that we could unearth other sources and then do a follow-up. Great investigative reporting is always done in a series. And there's, I mean, that's just how it's done. So I am willing to allow Seymour Hirsch the time and the breath to fully report this out. One other thing that I do want to tell you, though, is he's not the only one calling for an investigation or crying foul. Jeffrey Sachs, another person that I admire tremendously, he is an academic and an intellectual and a scholar and a writer and an advocate, and he has been at the forefront of trying to craft anti-poverty initiatives globally literally for decades, and he hangs his hat at Columbia University. If you're not familiar with Jeffrey Sachs, just Google him once, the algorithm will serve up a whole bunch of Jeffrey Sachs to you. The work he's done as a writer and as, as an academic is really tremendous. He was sitting in front of the UN Security Council trying to compel them to just start an investigation. And he even invoked Seymour Hersh's article saying, this is enough this should be enough. There's enough meat in here for you to launch an investigation. That's the only ask here. And it has to be done by the UN Security Council because there's nobody else in the mix that will be honest and authentic as if the UN Security Council has any teeth. But at a minimum, there has to be an independent international agency that examines these claims and then tries to put the pieces together. Because as Jeffrey Sachs said during his presentation, Norway, Sweden, and Germany conducted their own investigations and are refusing to release the results of those investigations. Perhaps 
if anyone was going to compel them to release the findings that they have, it would be the UN Security Council. Because my guess is, again, speculation, that the United States was probably telling them, whatever you think you're releasing, you're not. And there's obviously the UN Security Council itself is problematic because we have the largest voice there. So I don't really have any great expectations about it. But without this piece, Brian, we don't get to tease out other sources who would be willing to talk because that really is the true nature of investigative journalism. So I am a believer in Seymour Hersh's process. I do think that he will break eggs and I do think he's a bull in the china shop and he always has been. And then at the end of it, when he compiles it all, it's usually pretty bulletproof. The one disclaimer I'll give right now is that I do not like the trend of these really great legendary reporters going to the Substack or independent platform universe because you do lose something without editors and without those other critical eyes. Now, does he have an editor? I don't know. Does he have a team of editors that are there to kind of restrain some of his urges? I don't know. My guess is he does not. So that's my one big problem with that. But Brian, I hear you, I see you. I feel like it's different than Glenn Greenwald. I stand behind all of Glenn Greenwald's NSA reporting for a couple of reasons. Laura Poitras was there with him and he had another, oh God, he's escaping me right now. There was another writer at The Guardian and the three of them reported on all of it together. Greenwald sucked up all of the energy. He chewed the scenery and then became sort of this, you know, prominent figure, went from, you know, being an attorney to a blogger, to a writer, to this, you know, world-renowned reporter so to speak, at least on issues of the surveillance and security state and civil liberties, which I think he's always been very, very good at. And then he went the route of Taibi with these independent platforms where they are just in their own bizarre little singular echo chamber where everything that they say, first of all, they can't stand criticism and they don't, they're not willing to be challenged by anybody. But then they also go to the lowest common denominator of reporting and they, they wade into the culture wars. They seem to be obsessed with the culture wars. Everything is an infraction on civil liberties through their lens. It's just, now it's kind of disgusting. To the point though, they've eliminated that core around them as well. Taibbi was at his best when he was at Rolling Stone. Glenn Greenwald was at his best when he was at The Intercept but they just couldn't hack being questioned, I guess. I don't know. But there's also the monetary motive too. There's a tremendous amount of money sitting on the right for independent, unverifiable platform stars who can just, I mean, look at Tim Pool as an example. Look at the route that Dave Rubin took. Look at uh, the, the way that Jimmy Dore is beginning to go, particularly with the anti-vax stuff. Look at what Taibbi did. Look at what Greenwald did. There's a lot of money out there on the right, and it's extremely tempting. And I'm reminded again, David Pakman did a uh, a show a couple of years ago where he said, listen, I'm going to reveal something to you that I was actually courted. I was wooed by a conservative funding group that sat me down and said, now that you have an audience of this size, we can make you a millionaire if you begin to just gradually shift it to the right and we can work with you on how to do that and how to present it. We need to bring a little you know, core of your audience over to the right. Here's how we do it with other people. And he said the money was eye popping. So we know that this happens, right? I mean, again, 
Ben Shapiro's not Ben Shapiro without the Wilkes brothers, right? The Daily Wire is not the Daily Wire unless it is seed funded literally by billionaires who are pouring tens of millions of dollars into gaming the algorithm to make Ben Shapiro a star and so on and so forth. So I do have a problem with the independence of a lot of these stars who have gained cred credibility. I don't yet put Seymour Hirsch in that because my belief is the best is yet to come, but he is he is unearthing things that have to be looked at because you can't have Joe Biden stand at a press conference in Germany and literally say while next to the German chancellor, yeah, we'll take care of Nord Stream 2. We have our ways. I mean, literally, this is almost verbatim what he said, right? So all of the things that Seymour Hirsch is talking about, all of the circumstantial evidence that America is in it, and then again, something of this size, scope, and magnitude could have only been pulled off by a handful of actors. And if you think that Russia destroyed their own pipeline to cut their nose to spite their face just to spend billions of dollars that they don't have currently repairing it, which they're doing, I think you can pretty much take them off. I, I think that even they're not that savage, right? They're, I, they're, their disinformation probably has financial limits as well. So then who the fuck does that leave? Probably us, probably China. Do you really think that China is going to send operatives into our part of the world, into, the, into territory that is being policed by us and fucking Sweden? and carry off a covert mission to blow up a pipe. I just, I, it, just, it just defies all logic and reason. That's not enough. That's still circumstantial. That's not enough to condemn the United States for doing what they did. But you got to look at our motives. You have to look at what we've said. And I'm sure there's enough reporting in here that's going to tease out some really credible sources to back it up. So, Brian, I, I hear you. Best is yet to come. There you go. Now, 99, if you're done blabbing away, can we please get into show notes? Sorry, yeah. God, it's just, you're becoming impossible with I this know. stuff. I just love Seymour Hirsch. <laughs> I know you do. Yeah. Let's start off with a famous email from a famous person, somebody that we know and love. Why don't you rock and roll with I it? I didn't know the email itself was famous. <laughs> Not a famous email. Famous person sending an email. It makes it from, a famous email. I suppose, yes. It's from our friend Bobby McDee. Bobby McDee! Who said, The third part of the Carter story was so compelling. While you were cataloging the series of blunders and misfortunes that plagued the second half of his presidency, I began to think of him in terms of a tragic hero. Like Willie Loman or Frank Keller, Carter's fatal flaw, the desire to create harmony slash his attraction to solve complex foreign issues, seemed to become a prison of his own making. The sense of tragic inevitability was so palpable because of the skill of the storyteller. Great job. That's exactly the feedback I was hoping to get on that particular episode. That one was hard to get through. I won't say there's a lot on the cutting room floor because it was longer than I originally wanted it to be. Obviously, that's why we have an epilogue now. I was trying to get it all into, into one piece. But the arc of that year, to me, was so tragic and so difficult that I thought it was worth exploring almost every single nugget of it. Uh, and with you and Manny kind of pushing that narrative along and and just making it seem ever more intense with the date stamps and the time stamps and that it, I was trying to convey that this this truly was a mudslide like this once it started to release it was all, it was just untenable and I don't I really don't know if there was anybody that would have had the power to kind of pull that all back in now again some of it was a, of his own design I think that some of his choices wound up hurting him like, I think Zbig was not the right selection for his foreign policy team 
And I think there's a lot of evidence to back that up. Not a stupid guy, uh, but just really, truly saw everything through that Cold War prism. And they ignored some really key intelligence. I mean, they had the intelligence on the ground to know what was going on in Iran. It kills me that Kissinger was doing what he was doing in the backdrop as well to kind of pull at the threads and make things more difficult. And they didn't even realize it at the time and what was happening. There was just so much going on in the world. It's again, to me, it's this great inflection point, almost like that first video that we put up of the Jesse Jackson speech, right? Kind of showing what could have been. So that's right on the heels of Carter, you know, right in the middle of this, of the Reagan term. And sort of this awareness on the progressive side of the spectrum that things are about to go horribly, horribly wrong for us for a very long period of time. And that last dying gasp of progressivism that you can just feel and sense in Jesse Jackson's speech saying, please, let's not go the moderate route. Let's stay with our progressive selves. And there's still a better left available. What's amazing about Jimmy Carter was he wasn't even that. I mean, not, not anywhere close. He was very, I mean, he was very fiscally conservative, but he he just led with such warmth and kindness and compassion that I, I feel like if you could just mix Jesse Jackson's understanding of how to really roil up a base, how to get people connected to the political system and the process, what Jesse Jackson did over, the, over his 30 or 40 years of the Rainbow Coalition, literally going onto college campuses and into uh, neighborhoods that everybody had abandoned and getting them to register to vote. He set the path for Stacey Abrams. I mean, he just, he literally created the path for registering. Anybody who hasn't seen his David and Goliath speech, by the way, is another phenomenal, phenomenal speech where he talks about David finding a rock on the ground to beat Goliath and how in every corner of the nation, when Reagan won again in 84, beating Mondale, that the margin of victory was within our reach with all of the rocks laying around on the ground in every single community. And those rocks were unregistered voters. He really did that and brought and brought that to bear. He created parity for the Democratic Party and doesn't get credit for it. And so the tragedy of Carter, Carter only won by a pretty slim margin over Ford and then got annihilated by Reagan. But for that brief period of time, he had warmth and empathy and compassion and tough love for the country. And we just wanted something shiny instead. It's just, I don't know. I was really taken by by his story, as you could probably tell, because I, I can't seem to end it. But um, yeah, anyway, thank you for the feedback, Bobby. It means a lot to me. Maria from Puerto Rico also said, Dear Max, thank you for the Jimmy Carter series. As a 70s child... I remember the late 70s, although I didn't understand much of what was going on. I just wanted to grow up, put on some glittery eyeshadow, and go to a disco, as a revered young woman I knew did at the time. Knowing more about Carter makes me even sadder that he went into hospice care recently. When do you get to have an honestly decent human being as a president of a powerful nation? Also, Max, thank you so much for correctly saying the U.S. instead of America. When you mean the U.S. and not the totality of nations, from Canada to Antarctica. I really appreciate you and all the small details. Maria from Puerto Rico, you are very welcome. And yes, my heart is definitely heavy that he is in hospice care and that he's leaving us. He's in the process of leaving us right now. For anybody that knows what hospice care is like, 
it uh, it's brutal and it's beautiful and it's poignant. And the only thing that gives me comfort is knowing that without a question, without doubt, that Rosalind is just sitting there by his bedside. And it's just the most beautiful thing. It's a great story. So that's that. So let's go over to the social medias. What do we got? Sure. So on Instagram, Mountain7688 said, I remember some kind of fiasco about a rabbit. I don't remember why, but they made fun of Carter relentlessly about it. That's so funny. All right. So Mountain7688 has to be maybe a little bit older than me. I don't remember the rabbit fiasco. And so I was enjoying reading about it and then watching clips of it. Um, He had gone... On a little bit of a reprieve, the man liked to fish. He liked to commune with nature. He really loved Camp David. Maybe more than every other president, he loved going to Camp David to be in the solace of the woods and the cabins. So I guess he was out uh, fishing on a lake and Secret Service was around. There were some cameras around and people were taking a look at him while he was fishing. And then suddenly he made like uh, quick gestures and he got up and like his paddle hit something and he sat back down. And that was literally it. Somebody asked him when he came back short what was going on down there, and he said, uh, this rabbit came after me. It was, uh, it swam from across, uh, you know, I saw it actually jump into the water and it swam across, and it was coming at the boat, and uh, so I just, I just swatted him away. It was a big rabbit. And people lost their minds about it. The first one was, rabbits don't swim. And now Jimmy Carter's a farm boy. Jimmy Carter, you know, grew up in the fields and has probably skinned more rabbits than anybody's ever seen. And he was like, oh no, rabbits can swim. And this one had a good mind to jump in the boat and I wasn't having it. I mean, like Jimmy Carter, the farm boy, truly coming out in this anecdote. But for some reason, the press corps just could not leave it alone. I told you they were looking for anything and everything to just make him look stupid and foolish. Uh, And then it became like a joke among his staff and they would, you know, present him with rabbits and stuff like that. And it was all in good humor until again, it became... Jimmy fighting a rabbit, Jimmy wearing a cardigan, old Jimmy telling everybody to turn their thermostats down, putting solar panels on the roof. Like, it just became part of his narrative, which just shows you how far we've gone. We elected a man who, on the campaign trail, we came to know, paid for, used campaign funds to pay for sex with a porn star while his wife was pregnant, his his third wife was pregnant. Uh, And we elected that man. I feel like we need to, every time we talk about this, I feel uncomfortable about the villainization of a porn star. Like something about like a porn, it could be anybody. So I feel like it doesn't matter who, matters that he cheated on his wife. It doesn't matter who he cheated with because it makes sex workers seem like dirty and it's not, it's just another job. Okay, but the campaign funds is super important because it introduces the illegality of the whole thing, and it's just well, he, shocked that he's not in jail for it. I mean, if he paid for sex for from anyone, I just okay. feel like it, you could say a sex worker. You could I don't know. There's something about I think it's uh, it feels like um, a shock jock thing, like shock jockey to be like, and he fucked a porn star. Like we're not. This isn't the Stern Show. It doesn't really matter. Okay, it matters that. You know, someone who pretends to be a religious person compromised, you know, their morals, they're they're just their morals on the campaign trail with their wife, with their children, whatever. So I don't know. I just every time it gives me the ick. We elected a man who used campaign funds to pay for sex while his wife was pregnant. His third wife was pregnant. Is that fine? Yeah. I mean, okay. it's not like leave no one's going to cancel you, but. We'll leave Stormy out of it. Yeah. That's fair. She loves telling the story, but that's that's fair too. That's fine. It's the way you're saying it, though. <laughs> we wouldn't know Stormy Daniels' name 
Well, you wouldn't know Stormy Daniels' name if it wasn't for it. I'm not, I have no problem with, <laughs> you're picking the wrong Are you're, thing. Wait, you're a Stormy fan? Yeah. Oh, I, all right. Team oh, now Stormy. I'm getting, now I'm getting to it. Yeah. Was she one of your favorites? Um, yeah, I prefer, uh, you know, rainy, rainy summers. <laughs> okay. Uh, over on YouTube, David L. said, Max, so great to finally put a face to the voice I've been listening to since driving a crappy AutoZone van through Wyoming two years ago. Catching up on the pod. Uh, when you mentioned being in front of the camera for YouTube, so I had to check it out. Lo and behold, while I appreciate the reasoning you had for staying anonymous for the start of the pod, I at the very least feel you've earned more than enough credibility that the content you make can stand on its own, regardless of whether you're anonymous or not. I'll definitely be sharing your videos. If you and 99 ever make it to Utah, I'd love to buy you a beer and show you the non-Mormon side of the Beehive State. Uh, my promise to David in responding to him on the YouTubes was that if unfuckers see their way clear to continuing to share our show widely and make us a thing until we are financially stable and independent enough to just rip out and travel the country, that man, oh man, would we love to take him up on that beer. And he's going to hold us to that, he said. So there you go. Thanks for checking in, David. Appreciate the cross-pollination. Not pollinization. <laughs> I have a problem with that. Obviously, that wasn't a one-time thing. That was that was. Now that you've told it to me, I've definitely I have cross-pollinized. Pollinized. Where like would I've gotten that from? I, cross-pollinate. Why would I say pollinization? It's a weird thing, huh? Colonization. Am I? Am I? I mean, am yeah. I mixing them up? I, I've never heard you say it before that time. What do you What do you call that? Isn't there a, a like a thing when when people just illiterate? <laughs> The fourth eye. <laughs> okay. Uh, hey, listen, unfuckers, you really, really came through this week. I know I, heard, I was crying a little bit last week. And it was very sad of me. And I apologize for it. But you responded. We had a lot of donations, a couple new memberships, ton of coffee purchased this week. So thanks, everybody, for stepping up and helping 99 and I gain some independence here. So to kick it off, we have someone as a new member... ASL? What is that? Come on, man. What? We talked about it last week. As uh, a simple life. No. No. I. What was it again? Age, sex, location. Age, sex, location. You're the best. 34, male, Iraq. I've been listening off and on since Max had those interesting sketches between notes. Love the more substantive format. You guys are truly amazing. Wow. Thank you. And thank you for the donation. Yeah. Thank you for your ASL. Uh, Joseph F. Joseph F. See? <laughs> Joseph S. is now a member. Thanks, Joseph. So is Phil C, by the way, who says, quote, I love your podcast. Thank you, Phil C. Susie Q is now a member. Adorable. I love this show. It's brilliant. I've learned so much about American history and politics. Thanks, you, Max. Thank you. Thanks, you, Max. Thanks, you. Thanks, you, Max, and 99 and many faces. Asshole bought us 10 coffees. Totally unnecessary. Asshole, what is up? This is so kind of you. What did you say? I'm already an over-caffeinated unfucker. Yes, you are, but I figured at least I could send you some coffee love. Loving the videos, Max, and your fuckboy hair. 99, looking forward to your debut, even with a mask. Your presence on the podcast helped add a connection point beyond just interesting information. I'm sure your presence on the YouTube videos would do much the same. Thank you, asshole. Mm -hmm. So kind. Specker bought 10 coffees for 99, who's going to need all the coffee to catch up with Max after my well-deserved vacay. Indeed. Yes. Indeed. What that did one you went right into my my wallet? What did you send me last night? 
the grind never stops, but it was a gift from Broad City that said, I don't want to rise and grind anymore. I want to rise and lay down again. <laughs> I hear you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Ramona W. bought six coffees. Wait, I skipped one, didn't I? You did. Oh, somebody bought us a coffee and said, I stumbled over your podcast and I've binge listened for the last week. Holy cow. You've blown me away. Cheers from an unherstory fucker. Wow. Cool shit. Lots well, of great cross pollination. Oh. And then, yes, Ramona W., we need to give them their spotlight. Six coffees. Thank you for that. Indeed. Keep going. Okay. Nick L. bought two coffees. Love the podcast, YouTube channel, and the Unfuckers at All Facebook group. Keep up the good work. How's that group going? What's going on over there? I haven't visited in a few weeks. I don't have a Facebook. Oh, that's right. Too. Every time. That's right. All right. <laughs> Enoch, don't you wait. You don't even have a burner Facebook? Just the burner Insta? I have a burner Facebook so I can manage our pages. So what the fuck? Go check it out. What's wrong with you? Because everyone's, you know, they're doing their business over there. They're it's not doing my they, place. Doing their business. I want them to have a safe a safe space. I want them to be able to talk shit about me and not feel like I'm looking. I will look. Do not talk shit about no, 99 over there. I'm, I'm fuckers at all. I welcome it. I welcome <laughs> meaningful criticism, but I don't want them to feel like I'm watching them. Hey, if you're new to this, by the way, unfuckers at all is a Facebook group organized by super fans of the show and led by Bob Knudsen, who's our Wisco fucker and responsible also for uh, being part of the All Hail Netty crew and uh, bringing us uh, Alex and the the whole Wisco crew, right? I think Alex came from Netty. Yeah, I think all, all roads lead back to Netty, right? Yes, but I don't think they're like, I think they're separate, separate, um, arms on the Nettie octopus. And if you're new to this, if you don't know who Nettie is, we have a special episode on Nettie. Yes, the patron saint of the podcast. Enoch bought three coffees, said, I'm an American expat living in Portugal and enjoying listening to your show. However, I will not be following you to YouTube. Oh no. I believe the business models of the social media companies have strongly contributed to the lurch to the right of societies in US and Europe. Any chance of getting your take on surveillance capitalism? Damn it, that's it. <laughs> It's time. You promised that episode a it's year and a half ago. It's still on the board. It's still on the board. The surveillance capitalism book is also very, very long. And you know, so my mom used to say when I would I'd have to read something for school and she'd come to my room and be like, you doing your homework? Like, yeah, I'm reading. I got to read this chapter. And she'd come up like two hours later. She'd be like, what are you doing? I'd be like, I'm reading a chapter. And she would say, it's called reading, not memorizing. I am a slow as fuck reader because I read literally every, every word. Because I believe that had the author intended to use fewer words, they would have. It's important. I have this problem too when reading that, like, especially if I'm reading something nonfiction, I'm so focused on absorbing the information that I feel like I don't, it takes the joy out of reading. It's and like it's like skipping an episode in some prestige television well, I would show. Never, I would like, never well, like I don't have with that just skip a chapter, but I mean, like, but you, you know, know what I mean? Like, yeah, they did it for a reason, right? Well, some people add a lot of, you know, if you read any, like, if you read any Tolkien, there's like, I'm sure if you took out any flowery description of bread, it'd be like, you know, a hundred pages shorter. So, like, it depends on what you're reading. But I, I was just talking to a mutual friend. Mm -hmm. uh, well, I guess. Can I guess? Uh, sure. You can't say their name. I won't. They have a family member who listens to this show. Oh, yay. Yeah. Oh, that's really nice. Yeah. So I was talking to her and we were talking because she's a huge bookworm and I was telling her, like, I keep 
reading these books and I'm like, I'm just so, I don't know, like, it's like, I feel like someone's going to come up and quiz me and be like, well, what did you learn? And I'm like, well, so like, why would I think that? She said she'd read some, um, I tried to ask her for the name of the essay, but uh, it was basically the takeaway was read everything and forget it immediately. <laughs> like enjoy the act of reading yeah. and not be so focused on like absorbing everything. And I finished a book since we talked about that. And I feel like that oh, helped awesome. me. Yeah. Cause I was like, okay, if I forget what I learned, I could just read it again. And also who fucking cares? I don't, if I tell someone I read something, I don't have to be worried about them judging me for not like knowing the whole thing. It's some weird, like, mm. you know, something I have to untangle in therapy. I, do, I really <laughs> do love books. I, I love them. 99 just gave me another one today. And I just, I love it. It it, fill, it fills me up. It, they make me so warm and so happy. It's my favorite part of my house. It's just where all the books are. And there's just something about them. My mom collected so many books as well. She's amazing. I mean, they're literally still everywhere in their house. It's mm -hmm. just filled and filled with books. She was into Victorian literature more Ooh. than anything. Uh, and I never, I never really got into it because I was always into nonfiction. But that's where she would surprise me because we'd be talking about things and I'd, I'd like the Keynes episode. And I said, hey, so much fun. I'm talking about John Maynard Keynes. And she's like, oh, yes, one of the key members of the Bloomsbury Society. And I was like, <laughs> what? Is he? And she's had a totally different perspective on it. But yeah, reading is just, it's so awesome. Love collecting these books. And the other thing is I can never give my books away to anybody because I have, I have them so marked up and I reference them so often. Sometimes I just pick them up and I hold them. It's really, it's really weird. Anyway. I use book flags. Yes, your books are so flagged. Yeah, <laughs> but that was also another thing that if I was reading a book, I'd like be waiting to flag something. And I'm like, why am I? I'm waiting to find information that I will want to return to mm. when I almost never do, mm -hmm. unless it's like a workbook that I read and I'm like, want to reference. But like, you know, so instead of like this, the most recent book I read, there were like a few pages, there were, I think three in the whole book that I was like, I really liked a passage. And I just, I don't like earmarking. You know, I just, folded that down because I'm this is a book I'll probably keep so it's like it's okay that I'm doing that but mm -hmm. usually it feels sacrilegious to dog ear yeah I don't, yeah, yeah. I don't like it but you know instead of being so focused on like having my book look so flag I don't know I think I have weird social issues around my books and like reading and because I guess you know it's very it They're can be very elitist too it can and and I think about that actually when you know I I, I, I do I sit I have I call it my library in the room and my kids hate that because it's so pretentious. It's just the room where all the books are. I mean, it's, it has a library vibe. But it's starting I, I to develop a library vibe, you know, yeah, and it's starting you to have, get there. You have the other shelf that's less filled. Yes, and but, get, but getting there. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. So you'll just have to get one on the other side and it will be a library. I know I've been lobbying for that, but uh, so far to deaf ears. That's okay. That's okay. Nope, no, so get, far on. So far to no avail. Yes, thank, thank you. you. Um, but yeah, no, there there is something... Uh, slightly uh, pretentious and how did you phrase it? Elitist. Elitist about collecting books, but I. I just mean even just like like. I love it. Literary society is so elusive for a reason, and I mean it's less so these days in a good way because mm -hmm. anyone can publish, which could go either way, yeah. <laughs> you know. Yep. But I bet it stems from like being a child and like if you read the most books, you get a special prize or some <laughs> shit. And I'm like, I was I. When I was a kid, I never went anywhere without a book. Like I had a book in my head constantly. It was like the thing I was known for. And not in a snobby way, I just would read all the time. And I think I lost some of that as I got older. And now, yeah, maybe, I don't know. So I think there there can be 
a stigma around people who don't like to read or I don't know. It's just a weird world. Yeah, a really good friend of mine doesn't collect any books and, and thinks it's weird to collect books because he goes to the library. And I mean, for so many things, it's like discovering AAA. I got AAA last year. <laughs> you didn't have AAA? I didn't have AAA. My wife had AAA. So if there was ever an emergency, we'd just use her AAA. But I didn't realize the wonderful world now that I'm old. I can't wait to see what AARP has. Because the wonderful world of benefits that you can get through AAA. I mean, you can literally get everything. Now, that's how my friend talks about the library. And it's so interesting to me because I'm just, again, I'm a bookstore guy. I'm not a library person. I've probably spent so much disposable income on books that would be better off in my pocket. And he's just like, go to the library, dude. What's wrong with you? But I'm like... Because I need to write in the margins and I want to fill it up and I want my own thoughts in there and I want to go back to them and just have them around me and I want to sleep on them and take, I don't know, it's just a thing. It's no, weird. I get it. My roommate goes to the library all the time and- There's so much there. Yeah, she gets all her books from the library. Videos. For me- When that was a thing. The library now, it's a little, it's icky. <laughs> like I don't like the sleep, you know, they're yeah. not sanitizing their books. Yeah, exactly. I, I'll get used books, which I know is equally icky, but at least I can sanitize and they're like, they're mine. The library also has like, there's so many other benefits you can get with your library card. Like, especially in, in New York City, you can get entrance mm. to like all the museums. Yeah. Um, there is a great documentary and they have other stuff called Canopy, documentaries like streaming service, Canopy with a K. If you sign in with your library card, you can access, it's like uh, a lot of teachers use it. They have a million documentaries, like, and they even have movies and TV shows on there. Uh, you can use Overdrive and get audiobooks. Like there, there really are so many benefits of the library. But um, yeah, there is something about like this is my book. I can get it. I, for a while, <laughs> every book I was reading would have it was stained with coffee because inevitably my coffee would leak in my backpack, <laughs> and I've, so I had to like put them in like a plastic sleeve because they're so many of my books are just they look disgusting. They look moldy, but I'm like it's just coffee. So you know I can't do that a library book. I have. Um... Any book that I've ever loaned that I never got back, I know exactly who has it and I'm still mm. mad. So I loaned my uh, Piketty book to somebody who did not know who Thomas Piketty is. And if anybody I've ever known in my entire life, if the, it should have known who that was because it was like super mission critical to their job, hmm. she did not. And I was like, here, take this. I'm gonna need it back though. <laughs> because it's, you know, I, I don't know, I love it. Anyway, never came back my way. I can only hope that the world is going to change because this particular woman read it. And uh, so I had to go get a new one. So I got a new capital from Piketty and then had it on my bedside and promptly spilled a full cup of coffee on it. So now I, I, I was able to get both of those things in, in one book. I also know who has for a very limited f fucking series. OK, uh, and I do not talk to this person anymore. And I and I gave it to them right after college right after college, just a few years after college. I also used to own the Godfather saga on mm. DVD. What's the saga? The saga is the Godfather in chronological order, recut in chronological order, not just like, yeah, I mean, perfectly recut with extra footage, including what happens to Fabrizio. Thank you. I had that. And somebody saw it and they're like, holy fuck, where'd you get that? And I'm like, it's my... It's my prized possession. I just, I have that. You know, it's the thing I have. Can I borrow it? I was like, ah, yeah, you can. Never got it back. Oof. Never got it back. Can't find it. Hey, unfuckers, if you can find a copy, just uh, send me a link to it and I'll go buy it. I'm you sure somebody DVDs has DVDs when you were in college? That's oh, why I, like I was going to say it has to be after college. I was thinking, <laughs> yeah. wait, where was it? And then I was thinking, but I was still where I was. So anyway, that's why I have a little, you know, mm -hmm. anyway. Yeah. 
All right. Listen, we have a couple of reviews before we let this go. Uh, the first one is from Artichoke8299. Have a crack. I'm sure. I love artichokes, by the way. Uh, just a fun fact. Me too. <laughs> How is it possible that I never wrote a review before now? Okay, so I've been listening to this show for two years. When I first started, there was about 12 episodes out, and my mind was blown. I literally had mush brain for three weeks. Fast forward to present day, and I could have a very successful conversation about many topics. And I share episodes often because they are well-researched and surprisingly fulfilling. Once I got through the mush phase, I highly recommend this pod and you may find yourself smarter, more tolerant and sharing this pod often with friends, family and the UPS driver like I do. Unbelievable. That might be. Well, I'm done. I'm good. All right. That's the end of UNFTR. Mission accomplished. Yeah, but how we need to infiltrate all of the UPS, except the one episode where you're mean to them. No, I, I walked that back. We, yeah, yeah, but, but, but they're going to hear it. They're not going to know. We need to like- That's right. We need to print a retraction. I had an oopsie about the UPS drivers. Yeah. I didn't realize that the drivers themselves were unionized and I was doing a big uh, support the US Postal Service show. Uh, kind of shout out. So anyway, we walked that back the next one after a UPS driver was like, hey, dummy, uh, we're in a union. Uh, and the last review is from Snartin. It's clear that this podcast is a labor of love. I really appreciate getting an illuminating perspective on a range of topics that I thought- I knew about. And with that, we have reached the end of headlines and show notes. 99, love you. Appreciate you for all the things that you are and what you do. Thank you. Unfuckers, you you're the best. Thanks for helping us out here and uh, sticking through to the very end. And I guess we'll catch you this weekend. Yeah. Bye. Delegates. I know that you're angry with each other. Hopefully, this will be your opportunity to have your very own Camp David. Uh, in high school, my buddy David Fundus would have these campouts in his backyard. We would just chill out, have a bonfire, talk about whatever was on our mind. We called it Camp David. How do you know about Camp David? How do you know about Camp David? Okay. <laughs>